Hey everybody, it's Rajesh here. And Tane here. Welcome to our podcast, Baskets of Knowledge, Chats with the Difference. In our podcast, we invite guests from around the country and around the world to talk about how they got to where they are at the moment. It's about a journey, it's about an experience, it's about their life. Kia everybody. Welcome to another episode of Baskets of Knowledge. As you all know, um, this this podcast is just an information sharing podcast about people's journeys. And Tane, what have you been learning in your last, um, the last time we spoke about your past knowledge? I think since we last spoke, something I've been reflecting on is um, just this idea about self-judgment and how sometimes we're our own worst critics. You know, I think as I've been changing a few things that I've been doing and stuff like that, there's been, I've always been concerned of how it's going to impact other people when, you know, judging myself that, oh, I shouldn't be changing and I don't want to change. But then I get this feedback from the people that I'm, you know, changing these things around and it's all positive feedback. And so it's really good to just sometimes realize that even if you're afraid of changing things or think that changing things is going to be the end of the world, sometimes people don't recognize that. Sometimes it's just because you've always been stuck in that way of this is how I've done it and I know that it works that sometimes that change you're so afraid of it, but it actually isn't going to be the end of the world and that, you know, some benefit is actually going to come from it. That's, 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 that's so true. I mean, the other, if my, my favorite saying is when I talk to young people or to people is there's only two constants in life, change, well, there's three actually, change, death and taxes, right? So, and if one of those is not going to be all good, then you're in trouble. But if you're not changing, you're not growing. If you're not growing, then you know death comes much quicker. And you still pay taxes, so it's good to it's good to change and learn about changes there. Um, and then actually, I think that segues into into my learning as well from the week. And I've been reading I've been reading another book this week. Um, so it's called Breath by James Nestor, and I've got I've read it before a few times. And um, why I want to bring it up today, and according to what you said with change, is is the whole thing about awareness. You know, as you spoke about change and being aware of change, for me, when I was reading this book, I just realized or I thought about how aware are we of our actual control of a, of a breath. You know, when we start being aware of our own breath work, of our own thoughts, um, things can things change for us. You know, we're so busy doing things according to different reasons or we do things because um, we're meant to do things. And until we stop and go, hey, why am I actually doing this year? Or what is the purpose of this year? Um you know, nothing actually happens. So, you know, taking time to take a breath and, hey, let's just think about the change and why we're doing it is really a, a pretty um, powerful moment for me or big learning for me from this week here. So, anyway, enough of the two of us, Tane. You know, as always, we can keep keep bantering forever and ever. And ever. But um, to our, our avid listeners who've been with us for a very long time, as you know, we scour the country and sometimes the world to find speakers that we think are fantastic and amazing. And we believe with Boston Knowledge that everybody out there is fantastic and amazing. And we just have the privilege of inviting some to come into our podcast. If we could get everyone, we would, um, but then we wouldn't be doing anything else. And um, <laughs> that would be good, would it? So um, tonight, today's guest, or tonight's guest, or today's guest, wherever you listen to this podcast, is a fantastic human being. Um, I have had the privilege of watching this this person um, from the sidelines doing some really awesome things in her world. Um, welcome to our podcast, Lauren. Hello, thank you for having me. No worries, it's our privilege having you here. Lauren, before we get started and get into your story, do you want to tell our listeners um, a bit about who you are at the moment and what you're doing in your life at the moment? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Lauren. I am um a Dunedin a Dunedin girl born and bred uh currently uh living here as well in Otuputi 
uh, and I have just started um, actually doing work with um, the University of Otago's Disability Information and Support Service, uh, which has been really fun and really rewarding. Oh, brilliant. Awesome. And this is where you're at the moment. But if we if we step right back, Lauren, let's talk about uh, talk about Lauren as a person. So you've grown up in, in Dunedin. This is your home for you. And um, disability, this is this is part of your life. This is part of your part of who you are. But before I even talk about disability, one thing that always I always struggle with is the word disability. How do you how do you how do you think about what do you think about that word? And how, what do you think about that word and how it how someone who has a disability feels when they when it's just branded around willy-nilly, I guess. Yeah, um, I think the word disability is really interesting because if you go back maybe, I don't know, two, five, ten years, you know, it's a word that's really evolved. And as much as I still wouldn't necessarily walk around and say, hi, I'm Lauren, I have a disability, I do think there is a lot more disability pride and I think it is a word that sort of has been um, really reclaimed by the disabled community um, and I don't know it, it's not such a dirty word anymore so to speak I think that people really do embrace it and I think for me personally um, when I'm talking about um, you know being being disabled or having um, some sort of chronic illness and things I a lot of the time will uh, talk about things that, and use the term like an access need. So I have I have access needs um, that might be different to other people, but I do also think that the word yeah, disabled or disability is not a bad word. And I do find that I'm very comfortable and would confidently say, yes, like I have a disability, but of course uh, it's not really my body that's disabling me, it's the world around me. So yeah, it is very much about how you view it and uh, how I guess you you choose to use the word. I love the way you put that, um, your viewpoint of the world. You know, a lot of times in, in the world that we work in, we look at our own viewpoint and we forget about other people's viewpoints. I love how you said, hey, it's not a disability that I see, it's what the world, how the world is going, which is which is really, really beautifully put. And um, hey, let's just talk about your your. Your, your your health condition. Do you want to explain what it is and tell our, our listeners or viewers what condition you have? Yeah, sure. So um, with disability or with chronic illness, uh, it's never a straightforward answer, I have to say. Um, yeah. And some people in the disabled community um, can get a little offended as well um, if people do just point blank ask, hey, like, what's wrong with you? Or like, you know, what, what, yep. what what's going on? Um, but for me, uh, the easiest way to answer that question, because like most people who have some sort of disability or um, chronic illness, it's very much multi-layered. But I have something called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and that's a um, connective tissue disorder that affects my body in lots of different ways. Uh, so that sort of would be like the big encompassing label, but then I have a lot of uh, comorbidities that go alongside that that um, have impacted my life pretty much since the day I was born. But there are some things that have sort of only really uh, started becoming an issue or been an issue since I was um, a bit older, so since I've been an adult and things. And it's strange certainly to look back at my childhood and to sort of reflect on different things that happened and things that were going on that I didn't know were related 
to a condition like this um, and then to be able to put those puzzle pieces together later it's very validating and almost a bit of a relief I guess to know that what was happening wasn't just you know me having a bad day or me being crazy but it is yeah it's it's, it's a hard one because yeah you sort of there's so much that can happen and everybody's experience of uh, this condition is different so it is yeah it's not something that was easy to be diagnosed but also it's not something that it's easily to explain or to understand either but yeah <laughs> oh, I love that I love thank you for 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 that answer because there's two things that I want to bring up there the first thing was um there's a reason why I asked that question the way I did is because the world puts us in labels you know so you have a condition and therefore you blah or you have this or that and I love the way you answered that. Actually, it's not just whatever the label says. There's so many layers to that. You know, when someone sees someone in a wheelchair or someone with crutches or whatever, they just go, oh, this is what it is. And they just have the word, whatever the word is. But it's actually layered. And there's so many things happening in for, for a person that one label doesn't actually answer that whole question there. So I, I love the way you answered that question. The other question, the other part I loved about your answer reflects back to our podcast we did with our last guest. We spoke about the validation of the condition that they had. You know, when if, even though even though the condition means something, it is a validation that hey, even the words that he used and which you used as well is hey, I'm not crazy, and it's really really fantastic because um, uh, you know, getting a getting something um, not just when when you have a diagnosis, yes, the diagnosis has happened, but for you or the person that's going through that, it's actually I, I actually can now put a label or a word to not a label a word to what's happening in my life, and because when you don't know. You just got your mind goes to crazy places. The word crazy again, because you're not sure what's happening, right? So um, it's really, really fantastic hearing that there. Now, as as a young person growing up in Otipodi Dunedin and um, having having this health condition, what is it like for you as a young person going to school um, with, with? I guess I, I don't know what school was like for you. Whether because you said before at at the, at the moment the world is taking ownership of the word disability, but maybe 10 years ago, was it the same or was it a whole different world for you as you were, as you were going through your, your schooling? Yeah, I think growing up, I was, I don't know whether the word is fortunate. I think looking back, it would have been a lot easier if I had had more of a visible disability or had sort of a better understanding and appreciation for what was going on. Uh, Because for me, things have developed as I got older. So when I was little, uh, I was pretty much, I've been sick since day one in the respect that I was born prematurely. And then growing up, you know, I had a lot of um, health issues pop up, you know, I would have to miss school for, I don't know, having an operation or an appointment or I was just too unwell to go. And it, you know, it just was, I guess, I don't want to say it was normal, but, you know, like it was just my yep. normal and I didn't really know any different. Uh, not everything had a label and not everything had an explanation, but it was just just how things were. Um, I had three younger sisters as well. So, you know, we were constantly giving each other bugs and things. And then some of my sisters uh, have health issues as well. So I think growing up, particularly in primary school, life was relatively normal you could say even though reflecting back it really wasn't uh and then when I got into high school um I started struggling a lot more with uh sort of 
the consequences, I guess, of uh, having the health conditions that I do. So for example, um, I also have osteoporosis. So I, in high school, was constantly on crutches, constantly had like a broken arm or broken wrist, a broken ankle, you know, getting injured all the time, um, wasn't able to properly do PE or participate in after school sport and things like that. And that was really um, socially isolating at times, particularly in, say, PE, when I had to just sit on the sidelines and watch all of my class, um, you know, running around or playing and having fun or whatever it was we were doing. Um, but yeah, I think that was probably the point in my life where if, if you did say, oh, do you, do you guys remember that girl Lauren from, from school? They'd probably be like, yeah, she was the one that was always broken, right? Like she just always seemed to have a cast on. And I mean, I even started uni actually. Um, when I first ever went to uh, Otago, I had a broken arm. So like, you know, it's just, yeah, like those things were really hard. And then post post high school I think it's become even more of a my disability or my illness has been a lot more visible over the past few years and it's been strange because now I sort of feel a lot of the time like I'm viewed as inspiration porn or like wow you're at university that's amazing you've done this that's amazing and it's like well I'm not gonna not at least try like I'm I think that's really important but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but it just, it's been an evolving, an evolving chapter, I guess, for me. And my experience has certainly changed throughout time and it's already changing again. So, yeah. yeah. Which is quite crazy. It goes back to what Antonia said, you know, change changes constant in everybody's life and, and the kinds of change that everyone experiences is different, you know, and different, different, different rates and different, different flavors and different ways. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting in the world in the world that I work in and um, I see lots of young people that have health conditions or 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 you know what if disabilities and they have barriers for not to attend tertiary and when I say to them why why do you think you can't go to university what what's your thing and you always go oh because someone said to me if I have a someone or the world says if you have a thing then going to university is is like a major thing I was like yeah but you can still think, you still have passion, you still, you still are able to do these things here. So, you know, the fact that, you know, you went, hey, this is, it's inspirational, yes, from, from an outsider, but for you, it's just your normal life that you're just living your world the way you can, um, which people forget about, right? People forget that you are living your world, you are doing what you're doing, and, you know, each one of us is living our world, each one of us has things that are struggled, and some people's struggles are visible, some people's struggles are not visible, but um, it doesn't mean it doesn't stop you from from the different things that you want to you want to and try and achieve and what is that like for you when you when you came to university so you you did the high school thing you come to university and when I talk about what I what it feels like I mean university is scary as it is whether it doesn't matter for stuff it is scary and what's it like for you coming into a space where you go okay I've done my schooling um, I had a few moments and so I was socially isolated you know coming to university with 21,000 people and just as just for anybody it's pretty scary what's it like for you being a first of all scary because the whole new world and also because um, of your health condition and the fact that you know there's an expectation that you got to go all your classes and all these things expectations but not reality yeah um I don't know I think coming into university I mean even my journey to get to university and sort of you know to choose the path of study that I did was a bit all over the place and, and there's probably actually a story for another day but I've had quite oh. the 
quite the roller coaster even just getting to well, let's, start, let's go to the story let's, let's start we've got we've got time let's go ahead well this is the thing like it's almost like it's it because it's it's not a dirty secret but i think it's it's over time become a dirty secret in the respect that i have lived the student experience or lived in that tertiary world for so long um that people like i i could i could pass for a first year if i wanted but i could also if i wanted probably pass for you know a phd finalist or things like that but so <laughs> Hi, I wish I, I wish I wish I wish I could <laughs> I wish I could pass as a first year, Lauren. Well, this is the thing. So I finished high school in 2009 and I graduated university in 2021. Yep. So yeah. Um it's one of those things that I, I really struggle to talk about, not because I'm ashamed of it, but just because so many people um, that I've met only know this version of me or like this, I don't want to say the sick version of me, because as I said, I've sort of been unwell since I was little, but basically um, I, I really thrived in high school. Like I really enjoyed it. I, um, had a pretty normal a pretty normal high school experience I would like to think um I was very uh privileged and fortunate to be able to uh have some opportunities that I know I would not have gotten at other schools um and I was very grateful that I went to a school where I was able to flourish in all of the areas that I was sort of I guess good um like you know the subjects I was good at I was able to uh, do at the year above my above my actual level um, I had really cool extracurricular activities um, and opportunities there but once I left school I I, I got really lost uh, and I kind of knew what I wanted to do but I was the oldest of four girls I very much wasn't ready to leave home and I thought well I'll just do something and then see where that goes and basically what happened is I did what I wish at the time I had known what I know now to have stopped it. But basically I went to university. I went to Otago because I lived in Dunedin and I tried to do a certificate of proficiency, I think it was. So basically I just did some interest papers, you know, they were, um, ironically, I think I did hubs and psych um and yeah I I didn't I mean I didn't not enjoy it but I didn't really have any sort of community I was still living at home um no one else in the class I sort of really knew and I'd gone from being the student who you know was really high achieving and had um a lot of sort of I guess support but also uh you know friends and things to just feeling like a really really little fish in a very big pond and I ended up just like leaving halfway through the semester but of course I didn't even know how to withdraw it and I didn't think about the fact that I could ask someone I didn't sort of do what I probably should have and definitely would have done now um because I guess I was I think I was embarrassed. I'm not even sure, like reflecting back, like 
it's such a long time ago now but it just yeah I just left I think I had like I finished the semester with like one of the papers I'd like 41 percent or something because I just stopped going to class I didn't go to the exam I didn't really do anything and it meant a few years down the track when I did go back to study that I was on conditional enrollment and it really stuffed up my kind of ability to study and it was really frustrating and confusing and as I said it's it's all a bit of a, a roller coaster a bit of a long story but after that year I then moved to um Wellington um because what I had wanted to do and I knew that that was where I was sort of headed was I was desperate to um do a bachelor of um health sciences in paramedicine so I went to do that at Fisheraya uh, which I think is now Fisheraya well well tech um and yeah I got two years through my um paramedicine degree which I thrived in so I just as background I grew up pretty much in the back of an ambulance and I sort of um competed as a cadet in St John Youth and was really passionate about helping people and at that point my health was in a place where I could safely do that and um also could sort of I guess yeah I had a lot of experience and really enjoyed it and had a lot of passion there um and had some really good support as well so I did a pretty I think I did a pretty all right job um especially there and then unfortunately um towards the end of my second year of study up there I was at a party and um fell off someone's shoulders I um basically went head head first like smack bang onto the floor and got quite a bad head injury and basically the rest is history um it completely turned my world upside down um everything changed overnight and I am definitely a very different person to who I was prior to that night um in every respect even now um, I'd like to say for better, but at the same time, it's strange to think how different things could have been, but still are now as well. So yeah, I, I had to stop studying. Um, I was sort of like doing uh, like outpatient rehab and things up there and um, sort of just trying to, I guess, regain uh, some of the memory and function that I'd lost. I had, there was you know, it certainly could have been worse, but it wasn't great. Um, and it did mean that I sort of had to give up my dreams and come back down to Dunedin and come home. And yeah, after a few years of uh, living back at home with mum and dad and uh, feeling just a bit gutted, really, I thought, well, you know what? I can't, I can't do what I really want to be doing right now, but that doesn't mean I can't try something else. And so that's when I um, went to Otago, Otago 2.0, with my conditional enrollment uh, and started doing a Bachelor of Teaching and went into a hall as well because I was like, hey, I actually this time want to do it right. I want that community. I want that, you know, proper first year experience. I'm pretty sure I was like, a tiny bit older than my RA and I also probably was the person that cried the most on our floor <laughs> so what, what, what that's that? weird but yeah what hall did you get to what hall I, yeah. I actually went to Aquinas believe oh. it or not yeah. and believe, believe it or not 
um it was my first choice oh brilliant happy days (laughs) so just just because people always get really confused i love to finance um i thought it was but honestly it's one one of my target's best kept secrets in my opinion um but i actually chose it a because i had a car and I could drive, so I could just drive myself to and from class if I wanted. Because I was at teacher's college, so, you yes. know, it was a long way anyway to get there. Um, but Aquinas also had a shuttle, and it was a beautiful walk as well. So on the days that, you know, you had the time and energy, you could walk down through the gardens, as everyone does, and down Castle to class, and then get a ride back up the hill. So it was great. Um, and it meant you didn't feel like you were in that stu- the student area as well. You sort of felt like you were more at home, which was really nice. And I found it really beneficial. And all of the staff there were fantastic as well. I know it's um they've all changed now, but back when I was there, it was yeah, it was a real, a really special place, actually. I'm really grateful that I chose to go there. Um, because I think I got quite a unique experience given that I was from Dunedin as well. Um, it was nice to sort of feel like I still got the Otago experience or that hall, that residential college experience um, too. But yeah, no, I went to Aquinas, so yeah. Awesome. Before you carry on your story, I just want to just press a pause here because there's some there's, there's a couple of points that I really want to talk about because the one thing that I really loved about is, you know, you you did the hubs, you did the cell, uh, the psych, because, hey, you just did something, you know, didn't work out for you for whatever reason, and that's okay. But what I loved yeah. was how you went back to your passion and I think this is a, something that any young person or any old person listening to this old, older person listening to this is that your passions never die. You know, you you were doing St. John's from a long time ago. And naturally, even though you did the psych and the and the hubs, you went back to your passion, which was the St. John's, and you thrived in it. That was that was your jam. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us in our worlds, including myself and probably Tanya as well, we forget about our passion. You know, we think we have to do these other crazy things here that don't link to our passion. And we end up going a different pathway, but when we go back to our passion, we actually, this is not even studying, this is just enjoyment. And it's really interesting because, Lauren, a lot of our guests on here have, have had their life deviated because they have done something because they expected to, to do something, but then they went back and they ended up doing whatever their passion was, which is which is fantastic. So you know, I just want to highlight that point there because that was really, really clear. There. And then life happens, you know, things things change for you. And um, like you said, um, you're not, the, you're not the same person for better or for worse from that, that moment there. But the beautiful part of that is it didn't let you stop you. It, it didn't, you didn't stop. You know, a lot of people have things happen in their lives and they use that as an excuse not to not to do things. Um, I'm, leading, I'm reading another book at the moment, um, Unfinished by David Goggins, and um, it's pretty crazy. His story is also quite out there. And he speaks about how a lot of people have used an excuse for whatever the excuse as a crutch to not do things. Um, and I love how you're like, hey, I'm going to go in and not just go back to university, but go back to a hall of residence as an older student, but you have that experience there, you know, because that that doesn't talk just about you as a person, but your mindset to go, I'm going to give it a crack in a different way. So um, I just want to acknowledge that. So you do that there, you live the Aquinas dream, which is fantastic. Um, you know, I think Aquinas is, the, is, is an amazing place as well. Um, for, for those of you that that are listening that don't understand what we what we bantering here about with Aquinas. Aquinas College at the University of Otago is one of the colleges here. And traditionally, for some weird reason, people choose not to go there for because they perceive it's far. I mean, for those of you that, that don't live in Dunedin, it is basically between a five to five minute, not even a five minute drive to maybe a 20 to 25 minute walk. So it's not 
that far. And you, as Lauren said, you walk through gardens. It's not a highway or a motorway. It's through gardens. So um, it's, it's pretty beautiful. Um, so you, you're, now, you're now on this new journey here where you're doing the teaching program. And what is that like for you as you started going through that, through, through that journey there? Yeah, so I think uh, going back into tertiary study, it, I, I'm really, really grateful that I did choose to go uh, into a hall because I think at the time and it was what I'd found and what I find now as well, actually, for different reasons, but going into a hall meant that I could live independently but didn't have to worry about some of those, you know, harder things or the more annoying things that you have to focus on when you're flatting so you know as much as it did cost a bit of money I was able to just pay one sum and not have to worry about my cooking my power my internet any of those sorts of bills and things um and could just focus purely on the work that I was needing to do but also there was that additional support as well like we had a fantastic um tutor who uh, you could go to and speak to about sort of what your goals dreams aspirations were within your studies uh, you could go over assignments with them uh, they also offered like group tutorials for a lot of papers and I think it really helped me to get into the flow of study again and also to adapt I guess to the situation that I found myself in in terms of like you know if I had been trying to flat and had been cooking, you know, I had a few instances where, you know, I probably would have burnt the flat down if I wasn't careful because, you know, you just, my, my brain would just completely forget what I was doing or, you know, kind of pause halfway through. And I, you know, I very distinctly um, remember my flatmate telling me one time she'd walked into the kitchen and just found me standing there crying because I couldn't remember how to make noodles and you know it's such a little thing but that like moment of independence just wasn't there for me and so I think yeah being able to be somewhere um like a quinas or like in a hall of residence it meant that yeah I sort of could just focus on what was important and what was actually going to get me um through which was really good and the College of Education as well they were absolutely incredible so supportive and the staff were amazing um, my classmates were really nice um, because as I said I, I look a bit younger and that's actually to do with um, my connective tissue like to do with my health um, because it affects your collagen and things like that which I guess has got to be some perks <laughs> maybe but um, yeah it, it was really nice I was able to um, you know speak to classmates and I also utilized uh, the disability information support service at Otago um, so was able to use those supports as well to um, give me the best possible opportunity and a really equitable experience which was really good um, but it went well I actually did really well in 2015 and then <laughs> And then there's more. <laughs> and then there's more. 2016 came along. Um, and yeah, 2016 started off with a bang as well. Um, I had made some really awesome friends in my uh, hall. And so, you know, as, as all uh, students from residential colleges do, we signed up to a flat together because that's what you do. For better or worse, it's what you do. And um, yeah, we actually, we had a great flat. Uh, we, it wasn't, I mean, it certainly wasn't, the the most I don't know traditional student flat like it, it wasn't as cold as it could have been it wasn't as um holy like the walls actually were in one piece like it was pretty good we were right by the botans as well I think we were by the gardens by the supermarket uh we were 
by a few of the other colleges but we you know we were, we were pretty good location we were quite happy with where we were and it was still a really quick walk to uni I still had my car so I could drive if I wanted to um and yeah I really I really enjoyed uh sort of being able to have that experience of flatting even though I mean yes there were still all the little dramas that can come along and you know, those petty arguments that you have in a flat. But it was really fun, and we actually all really enjoyed spending time together. Unfortunately, though, um, as we got to, I think it was about midway through semester one, it was around Easter, um, I unfortunately had a medical event, um, which, and amongst everything else, all the other chaos, um, I have anaphylaxis. So um, I had a, a anaphylactic reaction to something that I knew I was allergic to and that I'd had reactions to before. But for whatever reason, um, that particular reaction was one of the worst ones I've had to date. And it basically triggered something in my body um, that then led to me never really properly recovering or to sort of other things sort of happening from there if, if that makes sense it's sort of yep. one of those things that I I can't explain because I don't really know but um, basically from that sort of point on I just began getting sicker and sicker and my body was really struggling um, in the space of about two months um, I had lost 30 kilos oh, um, wow. yeah um, it was pretty much running on empty um, and really struggling, uh, you know, to go to class, to complete my work, to um, even just get out of bed some mornings. And I began spending more time in hospital than in my flat or in class. And at that point, I very frustratingly had to say, hey, look, I can't do this. And I withdrew from all of my papers and I moved back home with mum and dad as I started that process to try and, I guess, get better and to um, sort of move forwards with this new version of normal, my new life, um, which, of course, I'd already had to adapt to a, another new version or another new me. And so it was really frustrating, really upsetting, having to go from finally feeling like I was thriving again and doing really well, uh, getting good grades and enjoying where I was at to going back to feeling like a burden on my family or sort of just like a bit of a failure because you know I think I mean even now my parents joke about it it's that whole there's only so many times we can move you back home you know but at the same time it was what needed to happen and um yeah the rest of 2016 was basically spent either in a hospital bed or just at home because I just wasn't really well enough to even try I guess to to do anything as much as I wanted to as well and yeah. um yeah I just had to adapt and try and work out what was going on and I started you know having all these tests and getting diagnosed with lots of different um things but then also having lots of moments where you know I would just be so angry and so frustrated because no, none of the doctors could agree as well you know like oh. it's 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 really hard when to be a young female in particular um, and certainly at that point in time, you know, having lost such a large amount of weight in such a short space of time as well, um, you know, obviously um, mental health, you know, started being discussed. So, you know, at one point they were like, Do, does she have an eating disorder? You know, like, is she just struggling with stress? Is this just anxiety? Like, and it's something that really frustrates me in healthcare because um, young females in particular are 
really so often um, objected to that sort of thing but fortunately I had a fantastic um, team of doctors and other healthcare professionals around me and they very quickly figured out that no I I, I didn't have a really well hidden eating disorder or anything like that and even if I had you know that would have been okay we just would have wanted to be able to treat it totally. um, but yeah no it just was really hard trying to adapt and trying to figure out exactly what was going on and how they could best support me and how I could best support myself as well. And so things became a bit of trial and error. And um, over the next few years, I guess, really, um, we, we were just stuck doing that. And, you know, there'd be something different every every few months. My body would throw another curveball and we'd have to try and deal with that. And I tried going back to uni a few times over that time, never full time, but um, yeah, I sort of just tried to figure out what was going to work for me and what was going to be best going forward again. And um, yeah, eventually obviously got the, got the solution or got the equation right, but I had to make a lot of changes and I know that change is something we keep coming back to. And um, I kind of love that because I'm terrified of change. Like change is something I really struggle with. Um, so the fact that I've had to change so much um, over these past few years is, I don't know, it's it's quite ironic, I guess. But also it's it's something that I'm trying to learn to embrace. And, yeah. um, you know, I am really grateful that some of the changes I've made have led to such beautiful destinations as well. But yeah, it's certainly been hard. and. I don't know. I, I I did not graduate with a Bachelor of Teaching either. I, you know, if you can't do teaching full time, you can't really do teaching. So I ended up, I think, halfway through 2017, I believe, um, it was changing to a Bachelor of Arts in Education. Um, and I focused on health and well-being education because that was always sort of been where I was wanting to teach if I was going to be doing teaching. Uh, and disability studies, which of course, once I became more unwell or more acutely unwell, um, I took a, a much greater passion and had a much better sort of, I guess, understanding of uh, topics in that area. And it made me very passionate about wanting to uh, learn more so that I could support people going through experiences like me or different to me, um, because I think education can be really inaccessible if you don't have the right supports around you. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful in a weird way that everything that had happened has happened because I think that where I am now and the opportunities I've gotten and um, sort of the lessons I've been able to learn and the the people I've been able to meet, just everything. It's I I can't even imagine a different version of me right now. And I mean, without sounding awful, a lot of my friends who were doing that Bachelor of Teaching, you know, with me, They've all graduated and they hate it. I mean, they've, they've faced some pretty significant challenges over the last few years, particularly yeah. with COVID, but they hate it. And a lot of them have already left and gone to do other things. So, I mean, obviously I don't know how I would have been, but I am kind of grateful because far out. <laughs> it's crazy how um, life conspires, you know, at the point in time we go oh, this is actually terrible, what's happened is really terrible. And it is, at, the, at that point in time, it is terrible. We're not going to take that away from that, from the situation. But when you reflect back and go, actually, that that moment didn't happen, you wouldn't be where you were today. 
And, you know, and there's always two pathways. One, sometimes it's, it doesn't go the way you want and you've really gutted. And sometimes it goes the way you want, even though you didn't know that that was the way you wanted. And in your case, this is what happened. This was, you know, so you went from the hubs of the cells to the paramedicine to teaching, but then you've actually ended up being in a place where um, you, uh, at this point in time, is actually a great space for you, not just for you, but as we'll go to the next stage, is not is for other people that are going through similar or or not similar conditions as you, because um, you've now you've now taken on a voice that actually helps the greater good and not just yourself. And what I'm referring to is your first of all, we're going to go first of all is you started off the Otago University. Disability, student disability, oh, I've got to get the name right. Uh, the, the Otago Disabled Students Association, because there was nothing before then, right? And that was in 2020, which is a COVID year. And that, that's pretty significant because in any population of 20,000 people, they are young people, old people, staff, adults that are going through some form of disability, whether it's a minor or whether it's major. And it's only in 2020 that this was created into an association. Well, how do you feel about that? And what is your driver for that there? Yeah, so um, I think, first of all, yeah, um, I I want to make sure that, uh, you know, if there's any anyone listening, he goes, that's not right. Um, yeah, yeah. Correct, correct was, me, correct me. Yeah, you need to correct there me. There yeah. was technically, um, I believe, a some sort of disabled student group on campus uh, in the 90s. Um, but as can be the case with uh, that sort of thing, it was run by disabled students for disabled students, just like it is now. But um, unfortunately, at the time, they just didn't have that same sort of support uh, and capacity and things just burnt out. And um, I think going into it, that was something I was very aware of um, because, you know, we didn't want that. But also I think, you know, there's a a common phrase in um, the disabled community, which is nothing about us without us. And I think that going into it, I thought, well, if we are going to do this, we need to do it right. It needs to be certainly, um, you know, centered around the disabled student experience, not, um, it needs to be, we, we do need the help of allies, but it needs to be disabled student leaders at the front. Um, and we need to make sure that whatever it is that we do, we're doing uh, with really good support around us because we want this to succeed, but we also want the longevity of the organization. Um, and, you know, for example, when I did leave um, Otago, I was quite confident and comfortable that, you know, the next year's exec would be able to carry on that mahi and that we had established those relationships in the wider university um, community as well. And I think, yeah, it was at the time, we actually, ironically, we had started working on establishing this association months before COVID came along. And it was just such a, I mean, poignant timing, really. Like, all of a sudden, we actually had a really good reason to be trying to um, give disabled students a collective voice because, you know, when it came to conversations about what was needing to happen uh, when, you know, when we all went into lockdown and when learning went online and things, it was really good to be able to actually approach those uh, leaders, you know, within the university community, um, particularly say um, OUSA, if they were advocating for students to say, please don't forget about us. Like, you know, the disabled learners at Otago, we do 
need these additional supports. And even though we have this incredible service that are helping us um, as individuals, we do need the wider university to be thinking about us as well, uh, both in terms of our learning, but also just our experiences during this time. Um, Because I mean, gosh, as it is, a lot of disabled students already have, you know, much higher kind of, I guess, associated costs just with day-to-day living, you know, itself. And I know for me, you know, flashing, for example, my power bill is going to be a lot higher than your average Otago students. And, you know, I shouldn't be disadvantaged because of that, especially when it's for circumstances outside of my control. So it was sort of, yeah, it was a really, really important, I guess, moment in time. And I'm really grateful that we had the support that we did to establish this group. And um, yeah, we we were able to connect with some amazing student leaders from around the country and to see what had been done, what had been kind of talked about before, but had never really taken off. And uh, yeah, I'm really grateful to Melissa Letherby and the team at Otago Disability Information and Support for, I guess, taking us under their wing and actually sort of supporting us in that setup process because it certainly is something that we couldn't have done without allies and without those people around us because it is it is hard work and I'm so chuffed that we've been able to continue it and grow student and disabled student voice at Otago and also um, now more at a national level as well, as I'm sure we will discuss. Yeah, uh, um, that, that that's beautiful. You know, um, I, love, I love that you acknowledge the fact that there was something in the 1990s and um, the fact that you were clearly aware that, hey, it was it happened, but it burnt up pretty quickly and you didn't want that to happen because this wasn't about you. This isn't, because, you know, mm-hmm. some people do things and it's all about them. But for you, it wasn't, it's not about you. And it's about, hey, okay, cool. If we start something now, is it going to last the test of time, whatever whatever the test of time is going to be? And that's important because, you know, we all have crazy cool ideas about forming associations, but if a person leaves, is it going to die? And that was one thing, I guess, you you and I guess your allies at, um, at DIS with Melissa and Jackie and all those amazing people that work there, you know, at least you, you did it together as opposed to standalone, which is really, really beautiful and fantastic. And what is the membership like for that? You know, because you if we, if we talk about recent history from going from nothing formal to an actual club, what is that like for you seeing seeing the membership or I don't know, what, what do we call that membership association? I'm calling it a membership because it's a club, but not a, you know what I mean? So I think for for me, it's been it's been pretty incredible. But I think as well, like because when we were establishing um, ODSA, it wasn't, of course, it was a collective effort. You know, it wasn't just me. I had some incredible people around me and beside me, and uh, it's been, I think, really valuable that we were sort of all at different stages of our tertiary education journey. So. Even though I graduated in 2021, uh, it was good to have other students who still had, you know, one year, two year, three years plus left of their degrees um, or of their study journey, because it's meant that some of those um, key people that have been there since day one are still there now, able to support the club and able to, or the association and able to, I guess, uh, add that additional knowledge that they might not otherwise have. Um, and of course we have all of the formal documentation in terms of like constitutions and, you know, there's all these formal processes that we, we, we have and did follow, but yeah, it's been quite exciting to uh, see 
I guess, especially since I've left, to see the growth that there's been. And even um, very recently, I was able to help with um, ODSA at uh, Otago's Clubs Day and just sort of talking with um, students on campus and being able to tell them about what, you know, what ODSA do get up to and share my own experiences of being a member and things like that. It's really special because I think we we have really been able to create um, a community now. And I think having, having a space where disabled students feel safe and where they feel like they can uh, relate better to other people and share their experiences, I think, for me personally, um, with ODSA, one event that we've done pretty much since day one uh, is disability. And so that's sort of been like a, a fortnightly uh, meeting, I guess, where, you know, all of our members were able to get together. It was a free space that if allies wanted to come to. That was absolutely fine. Everyone was welcome. And we'd come along and we'd all sit and basically just, you know, drink drink a, a cup of tea, a hot chocolate, whatever it is that you're after. There would always be, you know, food that would be able to cater for lots of different dietary requirements and things like that. And we'd just be able to share in our experiences of being students with different access needs. And I don't think I'll ever forget, uh, we'd been running disability for maybe, I don't know, six months. And we had a student come in and uh, they'd been talking and we were just, you know, just just enjoying ourselves really. And then I think I'd noticed a few times that they they were they were behaving a little a little differently to how I might while I was having a conversation. And it was only when I sat back and looked properly and sort of I guess observed, I realized that they were ticking and that they um it turns out they actually had um been diagnosed with threats. And as the time went on in that hour, they started ticking more and more. And, you know, everybody just carried on like it was completely normal, like nothing was really happening. And I thought I thought that was really cool. But then when the student then came to me and they said, thank you so much. And I said, oh, like, you're welcome. Like, please come back. Like, it's been great. And they said, I feel so safe here. And this is a place where I just feel like I can be me. And it's so hard trying to suppress my tics all day when I'm in class and, you know, in, in these lectures and things. And so I'm so grateful. It's been amazing just being able to let things out and not have anybody, you know, judge me or make fun of me. And yeah, thank you. And I just remember like I had to try not to cry because I was like, this is exactly what we were wanting. And um, yeah, to this day, I'm just so grateful that we could provide that space for them because while that there are spaces on campus, um, like physical spaces for disabled students. I think being able to actually come to somewhere that feels like a, I guess almost like a home, like a safe home, a, a community, a space where they can just be be free. I think, yeah, I think that's really special, and I'm really grateful that we were able to create that, and that we even now um, have this space available to any disabled student if they choose to access it and yeah it's really it's really great it it, it, it fills my heart I'm like yay <laughs> yeah and just to be able to even enhance their voices to give them the best experience that they could possibly have alongside Otago Disability Information and Support it's been 
it's been awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely just so grateful because I think my experience at Otago definitely was enhanced by being able to, you know, join them and be with them. Yeah. That's, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, when you, when you spoke about that, my, you just get goose pimples because it's <laughs> such a, such, such a beautiful story, but also um, the thing is, this was one, one young person that said, thank you, but there'll be countless of countless and countless members there that the space has done amazing, amazingness for them, but they haven't thanked you because they just, it is, it's, you know, humans sometimes don't like to acknowledge or say thank you, but, but they actually feel the thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you and your team that set this up and, you know, have created a space that like, it's not the physical space. It's the, mm. it's the mental space where people can just be themselves and without, without fear, fear of favor of judgment. So that's really, really beautiful. And working on that same trajectory. So you have this, this is what you have done at the University of Otago at that point in time, but Otago University is not the only place where it's table students. You know, let's, let's be real. This is this is the world. And so you're like, hey, now there's also the um, the National Students Disabled, sorry, National Disabled Students Association. And tell us how you got involved with that because that is now taking it to the next level for you as a person, but also not just for you as a person, but for your for your community as well. Yeah, so it's it's really strange to think back. I think a lot of this, it does feel a little bit like, I don't know, right place, right time. But I guess at the same time, reflecting back, it was probably also just that I was lucky enough or, I don't know, I, I was able to, I had a name, you know, people were able to identify me as someone who potentially might be able to help be creating in this space or to be able to make a difference. Um, having had this experience both at Otago and, you know, in other sort of executive or leadership positions um, through high school and, you know, through my young adult years. So COVID, as horrible as it was and continues to be, I think it really did enable so many more conversations to happen, particularly in that disabled student space, because, you know, one in four New Zealanders at some point in their life will identify as having a disability, you know, and that's huge. And with COVID, because we found out our entire world, every single person in this country or in the entire world, you know, their life was turned upside down practically overnight and everything we knew changed. And so being able to have already been having those conversations, it was quite, it was really, it was, it was helpful in the weirdest way to be able to say, okay, like that's Otago and every university, every TEO uh, responded to COVID differently. And I mean, obviously as the world and as our country adjusted, we were sort of able to figure out that you know there were more official guidelines released and things like that um but yeah for us as disabled students I think there were certainly a few disabled leaders from right across the motu who were like this isn't this isn't really okay like this is this is crap <laughs> and um there were a few other disabled student groups uh at some universities um in New Zealand but not many and so as things started to evolve with COVID, uh, I I think, I believe it was actually possibly Chloe Swarbrick um, bought some of the uh, tertiary 
you know, community together. Um, and we were speaking. I have to apologize. It's like a bit of a a bit of a fuzz to be honest, but I'm pretty sure that that was when we first when we first all started talking and were able to meet. And I met this incredible young woman. Um, her name is Alice Manda. So she lives in Wellington. She's a law student at Victoria. And she had already been involved with the Victoria University um, Disabled Students Association, and they've been established for quite a few, a big, a few, quite a few years now, um, and were really thriving and um, sort of had created a really um, positive space for Victoria, but also um, had quite a loud student voice and had been able to advocate for a lot of change, which I think was really inspiring for us down in Otago and sort of influenced the decisions that we made. But through COVID and through everything that was going on, uh, we were able to then start having conversations with them. And Alice had been discussing the idea um, of establishing, you know, this national organization or this national association for disabled students so that it would be easier to bring each of the um, different TEOs together um, so that disabled students could have more of a collective voice as opposed to just having you know a voice from here and there and there and um, you know I guess just to enhance us and to make us stronger and so she'd already done some amazing work she'd started sort of doing yeah like all of the groundwork and had been talking to all the right people and I mean living in Wellington I think that definitely helped because she had pretty much you know backyard um, access to some of the best um, politicians and leaders in the country um, but yeah we we started having conversations you know with them and uh one thing led to another really um Chloe definitely did play a big part in bringing a lot of us together and uh yeah before you know it um in 2021 the National Disabled Students Association held their IGM and uh came to be so yeah I sort of I think Alice had already done a good amount of work but I jumped on board um you know when we met and we worked through the rest of 2020 to try and get things um established and underway and yeah, come 2021, we had our IGM and were able to have our first sort of successful, I guess, executive. And um, since the National Disabled Students Association has come to be, we, um, we have been able to pick up funding. We've been able to sort of um, actually start including disabled student voice in so many more rooms, both at a national level and sort of in those different tertiary spaces. So we've been able to work with um, individual TOs and other disabled student leaders right across the country to establish their own associations like in their spaces. And then we sort of are like a partner association, I guess. Um, and yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of how it all came to be. Um, so we've kind of been able to grow from maybe just, I don't know, two or three individual associations to having now you know, upwards of 10 um, in full operation, a really strong national executive in this year. And um, yeah, it's, it's incredible seeing how much that space has grown and is continuing to grow and just actually being involved in these conversations and having a seat in the room. Like it's so important and it it's happening. And I'm, yeah, I'm really proud actually, because, you know, there's nothing that should be stopping us as young people with access needs 
from achieving our goals and doing what we want to do. And I think with the right supports, we can do anything. And if we're brave enough to try because we know that someone's going to be there to catch us if we fall, then what more can you ask for really? And I think that's 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 such a great way to to say that, you know, because if you don't try, you don't get, as you said, as Tani said before as well. But but what's beautiful is also the fact that um the New Zealand government also enables this to happen. You know, I think we're very lucky in the country that we live in that um this is not just brought aside, oh, this is just another student party that wants to create havoc here. And you know, Chloe Swalbrick, for those of you that are not listening, is a pretty amazing young person um and is very active active young MP who um, not just speaks for the Green Party and her thing, but also for the young people, because young people need a voice in this country. And, and, and for so many years, not I'm not sure what disabled students, but young people haven't had a voice. And, you know, we'll talk about one of the things that you have really, really strong about, because you mentioned that before, is the fact that we allow, we allow that to happen, that conversation happen. And if you are not part of the conversation, then nothing can happen. So it's really awesome that hey, that you, as, as an individual, got involved with the Otago, the, the Otago Association with with your with your with your crew there, but also took on the the challenge to get involved in the in in, in the bigger space because you know bigger that's where things start changing in the, in the bigger space when you start making noise of those conversations in the big space it all filters down. Um, and I, I use the word noise like noise in a, in a way, but it all starts off as a, as a conversation and sometimes the squeaky wheel gets things done. You know I, I've noticed this and you know people talk squeaky wheel and it sounds like a bad thing, but actually it is. If you don't, sit, if you sit silently, nothing's going to change, and then you really complain about things not changing. But it's really awesome to see that. And one of the things that that I know from some of the stuff articles that I've seen about you is that you have, and you mentioned this before as well, is that the inequality when it comes to study length and the payment schedules for for disabled students versus, I guess, able students, and and how crazy it is. And you you did mention earlier on that, you know, for you, you know, um, the power bill is not. A steady every every week's gonna be fifty dollars or next week twenty dollars or whatever whatever it is, it's gonna be constantly fluxing. And that I think from the article I read is was one of your one of your one of your many drivers or when you want on the association. Can you just explain that a bit more just to our listeners into why that was such a big thing for you? Yeah. So um one experience that I've had or had while I was a student in Otago is I went flatting. And it was that kind of sweet spot where COVID, COVID was a thing. It was very much still a thing. But at that point, we we hadn't really, at least in Dunedin, had to deal with it too much um, in terms of, you know, lockdowns and things like that. Um, so in, I think it was the end of 2021, I went flashing with, um, a group of amazing girls and I mean flatting with girls just in general can be a bit hit or miss but we all felt like it was going to be a really good time and we were all a bit older some of us were working some of us were studying or you know and completing our second third degree um and so we moved into what you you would probably consider like you know more of a family home um in the suburbs of uh Murray Hill so we're back and um, we're in such an amazing flow, but uh, with technology, we're going to have to cut this podcast short. However, however, the amazing thing is we're going to do a part two, so look up for the part two. So we're going to end part one with Lauren having explained her fantastic story and she's actually shared her dirty secret with us, which is fantastic. Thank you, Lauren. And going through this amazing roller coaster of how her tertiary study has been, but also for sharing how um, having a label 
doesn't actually mean that you just have that label. You're, there's so many layers that go into it, but it doesn't define who you are. Um, so for part one, we're going to stop at part one with Lauren describing how she has um, started to get to the stage where she actually wants to make some change, not just for herself, but for the community. So for listeners out there, um, stay tuned for part two. For everyone else, stay, stay, stay tuned for part two. And to Lauren, thank you so much for today's podcast. And we will speak to you in in a few weeks, well, next week, hopefully, if we can, or, or the next episode. So until next time, everyone, I'm sure you will find pieces of knowledge and pieces of wisdom that you can put into your basket of knowledge until um, we speak to Lauren next. Until next time, kakite, take care, and be safe. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Baskets of Knowledge. Yeah, we hope that you found something useful to put into your basket of knowledge. And as we said before, remember to put something little into your baskets of knowledge every week. And as always, feel free to like, comment and share this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye.